You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Mark. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. For probably the last two years, uh, Pastor Rhonda especially, it really started, I think, with her. Um, she got a real burden for this generation. Um, in other words, meaning probably 23 and younger. And Pastor Rhonda is um, really officially our children's pastor. She's, you know, we pastor together, but she's over the children's ministry. So that puts her over nursery, kinder church, children's church. And then um, obviously we have um, a youth pastor, Robert, our associate pastor is a youth pastor. And now Cody, uh, he's not here today. Oh, they had a baby. Yeah, Roman Atticus. That's a stately manly name. Roman Atticus. Anyway, so um, so we have you know junior high. We're getting ready to do some things over there. Um, our young adults, um, you know, uh, Chad Hastings is over the college age, and then right now, um, Pastor Rhonda's doing a lot of the um, once a month out there, and then so uh, and then Robert is over that, and so we we have that area in our church, and we've always been known for our children's ministry and our youth. Um, we have we've we've got great lead teachers. Uh, Deanna's been being a lead teacher f- forever. Hallelujah! She is one of the most gifted um, uh, ministers to children that you can find anywhere. So uh, you know uh, we we've just and we've been around uh, long enough that I've watched children grow up from the nurseries. As a matter of fact, uh, Chad, who I was mentioning, um, he's the first baby, I, one of the first babies I dedicated, and now he's on my staff. And so that doesn't make me old, does it? And so, um, so, but I've watched children in our church grow up, and there's something that when you teach a child and you get them born again, you get them filled with the Holy Ghost. You give them the doctrine of the Word of God. You know, a lot of times people don't like necessarily putting their children in children's church because they think, well, they need to, you know, they need to get the Word. Well, at our church, they get the Word, but they just get it on their level. You know, um, instead of them coloring in here with a book so you can keep them quiet, put them in children's church where they can get something on their level. Well, they don't want to go, we'll make them! You're not their best friend. You're their mom and dad. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't want him to get mad. Okay, let's pray again. I didn't believe in counting to ten at my house. One, two... No, it's one and done. There is no one. Come on. All right. It's for their interest. It's for their best interest. Listen to me. When my spiritual father went home to be with the Lord, he said this. And I didn't really, I understood it because it was Brother Hagen, but I didn't understand it. He said, a move of God will be lost to the next generation, to this generation, to the next, uh, to this generation if we don't do something about it. Well, he's been gone a few years now, and a move of God is about to be lost to a generation in the United States of America. It's troubling. Things that are now normal
and I've been praying. Pastor Rod has been praying. And so on Wednesday nights, I've been praying probably about a year and a half or whenever I started take, took Wednesday's noon prayer and the Lord had me do that so I could get, force me pretty much into a prayer time to lead. And I began to pray about this generation. And the Lord calls them the generation of the upright. He doesn't call, isn't it amazing? He doesn't call them lost. He doesn't call them messed up. He doesn't call them hopeless. He calls them how he sees them. And he sees them as the generation of the upright. And uh, now, um, when we're going to meetings and talking to other ministers, we're starting to hear it come from the pulpit. In other words, the Lord is not just sounding alarm with us. He's sounding alarm in the body of Christ. If y'all don't get on it, you're going to lose a generation. You know that scripture that I used to, uh, I, I, I wondered, the Bible says, will there be faith found on the earth when I come? And you know, in the height of the word of faith movement, I thought, of course there will be. We'll all be here. Kind of arrogant sounding, isn't it? But could it be that if we don't make some changes in how we think, now, last, remember last week we, we shouted, we yelled, we hollered. We went to the dentist and we got happy gas. If you weren't here, get online. It was awesome. It was amazing. But even though this is sobering, I have to give this to you because of what I believe the Lord wants to do. He's calling them the generation of the upright. These are the last days. He's coming for a glorious church. The, I... It, People have prophesied about signs, wonders, and miracles, and a great end-time revival. Well, I believe it's set up for that. Because when the church forever, or, or the children of Israel were backslidden, He's the, the God who answers by fire. He's the God who's willing to answer with signs, wonders, and miracles. One of the things I've been praying out of my heart is, Lord, show them there's a living God. Show them there's a living God. Listen, this generation coming up doesn't want any religion. And you and I may not think we have any, but we probably do. They, don't, they want reality. They want us to live it in front of them. And, you know, we can do that. And, you know, I'm going to talk to you today about some things that are obviously really near and dear to my heart because the Lord's been dealing with me about them. I, come on, join us in the, in the thought, because what is the, even the slogan or the, the, what this church is raising a, from infants to adults. See, we've never left out the infants, the kinder church, the children's church, the, the youth group, the, uh, the ignite, the young adults, two adults. It, it, it's funny to me, and we're going to get into this, uh, most churches spend all their money and time on the adults when it's the, the current generation. They're not going to take over the church. They are the church. The children, the youth, the young adults. We've got to, you and I in this room, now I'm about to really give, I'm going to give a message to the choir. You know what I mean? I know you're here and I know, but because you're here on a Sunday morning during spring break and the first sunshiny day in like 40 days and 40 nights, 
I thought Noah was coming. Um, I, thought I was looking for him to float by any moment. I, I know y'all are serious people. And one of the things about Cornerstone Word of Life Church is I appreciate that. And you're here. But the Lord needs you. We need you. We've got to get after some things. Now, one of the things about when you go to church here, we teach you how to walk by faith. We teach you how to live in authority. We teach you how to receive the promises of God that are yes and amen for yourself. But we're going to turn those things a little bit. And I do this, you know, I try to do this at least once a year. But this year, it's just really strong in my heart to turn our hearts towards the harvest, towards the lost, and towards the backslidden. And I need your help, and the Lord needs you. Because you are a minister of reconciliation. You are a living epistle read of all men. You've been given a word of reconciliation. Amen. You have a fragrance about you. The life of God lives on the inside of you. Hallelujah. You're a believer. You're a child of the Most High God. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. Hallelujah. And because you're all of those things, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And because that's who you are, you are the ones that can reach into to this next generation and bring the harvest that the Lord sees that he is not willing to do without. Amen. And so we're going to start a real simple place, but it's where I feel like we need to start. And so um, uh, how many of you get daily bread? Okay. How many of you don't, you don't have to do this next one. All right. Okay. This is a rhetorical. How many of you read daily bread? How many of you really do? Okay. All right. So, um, so I, Next week is coming where you're going to get an assignment every day to pray for a family. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's my son. He really is. I know we don't look alike. We dress a lot alike. Thank you. Why didn't you? Okay. Okay, so shall we start over? I wonder why y'all looking so strange. Anyway, so um, turn with me to James chapter 5, verse number 16. James 5, 16. I really want to get after this today. Um, you know this scripture, and I'm going to read to you. Confess uh, to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offense, your sins, and pray. Everybody say, and pray. pray. Also for one another. Now, one of the things that we do a lot is we teach you how to pray the prayer of faith for yourself. We teach you how to receive. But everybody say, and pray for one another. And so we teach you to pray for one another in this room. We're the body of Christ. We're here for one another. We want to help one another. Everybody say, for one another. Okay, now I want you to think as we talk about one another, I want you, I want you to think about some other people that, that aren't in church, that are backslidden, that are lost, that you can begin to pray for. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. Restored where? To a spiritual tone of mind and heart. So we're looking to pray for someone who needs to be restored. How many know you've all been given the ministry of restoration? You are a minister of reconciliation. We're going to restore them to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. So you all have tremendous, when you pray as a righteous man and woman, tremendous power is available. Prayer is important. 
Jesus not only spoke the word, he prayed on a very regular basis. He prayed to the Father. It's so much so, the disciples didn't say, Lord, teach us to walk by faith. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Prayer is a very important thing. So praying for one another. Everybody say, let's pray for one another. What does it do? Well, we're going to look at some times real quickly of where uh, the, somebody was in real trouble and the church prayed. Now, I know sometimes we say, you know, you don't need to call all the prayer towers and get everybody to pray. But mostly when, when you know how to pray, when it comes for something you're going to receive. In other words, you, you don't need to call a prayer tower or prayer hotline when you need to receive your healing. You need to do that by faith. All right? But there are things when corporate prayer is very appropriate. And so here is the first one. It's found in Acts 16, 25 and 26. It's talking about Paul and Silas. They were in prison and they did what? They prayed. Why? Because they were there, but that was their normal thing. But they were in the middle of a prison and they sang praises unto God. And what happened? The prisoners heard them. So I want you to think about this just a minute. I want you to understand that there are people that you know that are in prison spiritually. They may not be in the Madison County Jail. They may not be at Limestone Correctional Facility, but spiritually they are in prison. They, they're sitting in darkness and they can't find their own way out. If they could they would be out already either you know well they just like it there how many of you know uh <laughs> they don't they don't they don't want to live in sin they don't they don't want to have a bad life they've just not been grabbed by the hand and shown the way out into the light they may have been shown religion but that's not the same as being shown relationship and so they're sitting there and they're, and they're, they're praying. Let's go back to that. Acts 16, 25 and 26. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises of God and prisoners heard them. And verse 26 says this. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly. I believe when people, just leave that up on the screen, please. When people uh, need something and you begin to pray, there are some suddenlies coming to this generation. There are some suddenlies coming in the United States of America right now. There, listen to me, prophes I'm going to tell you some things. There are some suddenlies coming that are very negative and could be harmful. But there are some suddenlies coming because where sin does abound and what the devil may try to do, if we in the church will pray, God is ready to do some suddenlies as well. And his suddenlies, it's going to be like, you know, uh, when, Mo when Moses threw down the, the, the rod... God's suddenlies are going to eat up the devil's suddenlies. And so don't you be worried about the devil's suddenlies because you and I are going to pray and we're going to believe because God's suddenlies are going to come and overwhelm those. And it's just going to be like this. I'm telling you, it's going to be like this. So I don't have anything negative to tell you, even though it looks like we're losing a generation. God says they're the generation of the upright. The generation of the upright means there's a people, there's a young group of people that are going to walk holy, live holy. They're going to be on fire for God. They're going to walk in their righteousness. They're going to know who they are. They're going to walk with healing in their hands. I'm telling you, there is a generation that's coming that God is waiting for that you and I are going to reach. And it starts for us praying. Paul and Silas were in jail. They were praying. 
And it says suddenly, everybody say suddenly. There was a great earthquake. So the foundations, and that word foundation stood up and slapped me in the face last night. And the foundations. There are some things that the devil has systematically been putting into our culture for 20, 30, and 40 years. And I'm telling you that if we'll begin to pray, the foundation of what it looks like the devil has now solidified in the United States of America will begin to crumble. It'll begin to shake. And the foundation of God will come back into the United States of America. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, though, it's going to take us praying. It's going to take us believing. It's going to take us doing what we're called to do. But the literal foundations can, because see, it's shifted. And, and we'd be lying if we say it hasn't. The foundation of this nation has shifted. But we can either, we can either be mad and throw up our hands and say, what in the world happened? Well, the Lord told me it's my generation's fault. That's what he told me. So what's your fault? I've been preaching. No, he said, as a whole, because it's the generation that's before, it's, their, it's always been their responsibility to talk to the next generation. I don't know what happened to my generation. We got cutesy. Try to figure another way to help God out. I, I've tried. But I'm just telling you, that's what's happened overall. But he holds our generation, my generation, responsible for the next generation. And there's no way you can shake that. So as far as me and my house, me and my house, we're going to serve God and we're going to do it God's way. But the foundations, everybody say the foundations. They're going to be shaken. <laughs> They're going to be shaken. <laughs> there's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on. And immediately... And immediately, and immediately, and immediately, what happened? They prayed, and they praised. They prayed, and they praised, and God moved. They prayed, and they praised, and suddenly, God moved. They prayed, and they praised, and suddenly, God moved. She moved so hard and so fast that it shook the foundation of the United States of America, and everything began to change, and those who were in prison, those who are confused, those who don't believe in a living God anymore, immediately their prison doors were open and all of the chains that bind them to a secular way of thinking were loosed and they were let go. And now they are free. Amen. What prayer and praise. Acts chapter 12, verse number 5. James was in prison and he was killed. And now they took Peter, and Peter therefore is kept in prison, but prayer, but prayer, but prayer, but prayer. Rhonda's, Pastor Rhonda's favorite word in the Bible is usually but, because that means there's something exciting that can change something. But God, but prayer, but prayer. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And you all know what happened. An angel showed up, walked right past all those guards. And what I love about Peter, he, he's one of the most amazing men. He can get in trouble fast. He can get praised fast. He, he's just, he's awesome. He was asleep. In other words, he's about to die, but he don't care. He's sleeping. 
Because the angel had to wake him up. Get his clothes on. Come on, gird yourself. We're leaving. And, and then I, I wish it was more of the story because I can just see Peter being astonished as he walked through the wall with an angel. Because he had to. His bands were loose. All the guards were, must have been asleep. Walked through a wall, saw himself on the outside because at first he thought he was having a vision. And then he went to where they were praying. Remember, he knocked on the door and they were still doing what? They were still praying. They were really praying. Now, listen to me. I don't know how much faith they were in because this is the early church and they were just beginning. Because see, uh, you know, James had just been killed. But they, they felt led. They went to John Mark's mama's house. Remember John Mark? They went to John Mark's mama's house and they were praying. And then Peter's like at the door and, and, and Rhoda, she's like, hey, he's here. And they're like, it's his angel. I don't know where they came up with that. But anyway, and, and like, and it's him. And it's him. What am I telling you? That they corporately prayed and suddenly... They corporately pray. Listen to me. I believe Peter would have died if the church had not prayed. Because some people say, well, you know, that was just the will of God. It, listen, the Bible tells us what the will of God is. And it also tells us the elements of things we need to know. If they had not prayed, Peter would have died like James died. I don't know. Was it James's? Well, it was just his time to go. You don't know that. The church didn't know everything, and they were beginning to know some things. But now you and I really do know some things. How I many know if we're going to change this upcoming generation, those who the devil has put in prison, we're going to have to believe God and believe God together corporately. Are, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to do that? Hallelujah. And then I like this one, Luke. Um, this is again about Peter. Luke chapter, I hope when I get to heaven, he doesn't corner me. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Anytime you get a double name mentioned, that's big. And he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. I would say this, Satan has desired to have a generation. And it looks like he's about got them. But, but that he may sift you as wheat. But, everybody say but. I like this one. But I have prayed for you. How I many you know there's ever one living to make intercession? He's seated at the right hand of God. His name is Jesus and he's the high priest. And he's still making intercession for a generation. And I believe he kicked it up and that's why it's getting off on me and you. Because he's not willing to lose a generation because he shed his blood for them. He still has plans for them. The Father calls them the generation of the upright and he's after them. But I prayed for thee that your faith fail not. Right now their faith is failing. Right now they have no faith. They don't know if there's a living God. They've been talked out of a lot of things. But the truth is, he said this, when you're converted, and then when that one jumped up off of the page and slapped me a couple times, he said, when I, you get this generation born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, there will be a fire that goes through this nation, and they will strengthen the brethren. I, I'm telling you, it's a matter of getting them born again. It's a matter of getting them filled with the Holy Ghost. So can you see that prayer is obviously very important? If we're going to, so look, how many of you know, how many in the room can pray? 
Can we all pray? Everybody in this room knows how to pray. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna finish that up. But so let me put this in the middle here. Um, <clears throat> because of being a former accountant, I love statistics and I love graphs and charts. And as a pastor, it comes in handy. And so I was ministering to our under shepherds. I was ministering to the children's pastors, the youth pastors, uh, those who I consider under shepherds in the church. And there's a handful of them. And we meet every two or three months and I give them a message. And so I was giving them some statistics because I was wanting to kind of rev them up a little bit and see that they were, how important they were. And so I looked at statistics about in the United States of America, what age people get born again? What age people get born again? Now, I mean, this is not necessarily exact. And how many of you know in the United States there's all kinds of denominations, all kinds of churches? So this is an overall look. This is not a, a word of faith, Pentecostal, uh, charismatic, spirit-filled look only. This is a look over all the United States of America. But it says this, <clears throat> the uh, National uh, American Evangelic, Evangelistic Organization said this, that 63% of all Americans get born again between the ages of 4 and 14. The next 34% get born again between the ages of 15 and 29. Only 2% of Americans get born again after the age of 30. Barna, which is a very solid gathering statistics for, for Christian circles, uh, from infants to 13, 43% get born again. From 14 to 18, that's uh, high school age, 21% get born again. From 18 to 21, college age, another 13% get born again. And they say, then they break it off at 21 and say 23% get born again, 21 and up. But that's a huge range. I wish they'd have broken that down. So a lot of times what happens in the church when it comes to outreach and who we minister to, we spend, we, we, we go after, we go after the 2%. Man, we go after that 2%. But if the 98% is 23 and younger, then we need to go after the 98%. How many of you know that makes good sense? And so we need to go after those, we need to go after the children, the, the teenagers, the young adults. We need to present Jesus to them in a way that they can receive him. Um, and there's all kinds of ways to do that. All I'm telling you, I'm telling you these statistics because I want you to kick up your prayer life for this generation. Because can you see if the devil can get them past the age of 23, he almost assuredly has them. Now, most of you and me, we were born again at a young age. Maybe we were in a church that couldn't hold us, didn't teach us the truth, and we backslid and we came home. And there is a great, and that's part of my call, is to reach the backslidden. But I'm also telling you as family, is we've really got to concentrate our prayer, our, our faith, 
towards this generation from 23 and under and believe God that, that there comes a revival, that there comes an outpouring, that there comes a visitation to that generation. Now, as I was praying last night, I said, Lord, I'm, you know, because I don't have this all figured out and I've never heard a minister yet who has this all totally figured out. Because there's a way you can get young adults and kids in church, but then, then they don't learn anything. They're not, they're, you know, they don't have anything to live life with. I, I'm not looking to entertain anybody. I'm looking to get them born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, and taught the doctrine of the Word of God so they can stand. We've just done this. Uh, Robert's been with me 16 years. We've noticed this with teenagers. Parents who start letting their teenagers, about 14, 15, do their own thing, go their own place, do their own way. When they're young adults, they're not usually serving God. Well, I just want them to be happy. Well, I just want them to make it. We we can't lose them. Come on, you and I have enough trouble on our own. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I mean, we know the word. And how many have, don't raise your hand, how many of you have a problem every now and again? How many want you to throw up your hands sometimes and quit? Imagine you then with no word. Not born again. I don't know what I'd do if I wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. And yet there's a whole generation who we've made church light. We've not given them a word. We just want them to be happy. We just want them to be comfortable. We want them to be entertained. Just throw another fog machine in. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I need you to believe God with me. I need you to believe God with me. I know where we're going. And I know how hard the devil has tried to keep us from going there as a church. And I'm not saying we've arrived or we've got all the answers. There's a lot of good churches in this area. There's a lot of good Bible-believing, Spirit of God churches, and we're not the only one. There, you know, there's, there's good churches here. But we've got to do our part. And our part is not just to keep it in the walls. And we can have all the outreach programs, and we can go to every prison, and we can go to the nursing home, and we do all that. But really, when it comes to it, you and I together have to have a heart for this generation. It was like me when I got, uh, when I started to pastor Rhonda and I got married and Rhonda grew up in church and she was a good AG girl and her daddy was a pastor and then she was a missionary in India and where she would go preach, whole villages would get born again. I mean, if she could have, she would have got the oxen and the chicken and the goats all born again. I mean, she was just having great things. And then she married this pastor from Alabama who all he wanted to do was preach faith. And that's all I was doing, an authority believer and how to be led and 
God wants you blessed. But she began to pray for me that I would get a heart for the lost. Now I can be up preaching and I can tell when someone's in the room that's lost and away from God. I didn't always have that. But it's because I believe for it. The same God who works with me in the gifts of the spirits is the same God who tells me when somebody in the room is not serving God. And I know. So I just need you to have a heart. And so I was asking the Lord. I thought I'd be done today, 10 minutes early, because I didn't have much on paper. Um, um, I asked the Lord, so Lord, how do we fix this? And he asked me this question. He said, well, how do children get to church? Do they drive? No, their parents have to bring them. And I had an aha moment. Oh, it's the parents' fault. (laughs) And so in this desire to get to young adults, teenagers, and children, we still, because I was ready to not deal with these people. Let's bypass them. And I've tried some things to bypass them. Part of my desire to buy tennis shoes for every child here was to bypass them. You get, him, you get a child in my church, we're going to teach them the truth. At least I'll know they'll be born again. But in order for that child to grow up, I still got to have the parents to come. Don't anybody get offended at that. Don't anybody write me any letters. It's just I'm trying, I, I want to see children get born again. I want to see teenagers have a chance. I want a young adult to make it through college without questioning that there's a living God and many ways to God and mess up their whole life. But I need your help. God needs our help. If God could just sovereignly do it on his own, he would have done it already. He's arranged for us to be the body. He's the head. He needs you to speak. He needs your hands. He needs your feet. He needs you. And he needs us to start by prayer. So I found another statistic, Um, two different ones. Um, How many times do people in the United States attend church on a weekly basis? Now, I know this isn't you. This has nothing to do with you, but I'm talking overall. Once a week, 22% of Americans attend church. Every once a month, 21%. Seldom, 25%. Never, 28%. So 22% of the people are coming to church once a week. So that means 22% of the children are getting a chance, but 78% are not. Because, you know, unless, if they come, if they, maybe, they're stay, maybe they're staying home once a month and every Sunday having their own church. Every, every day they're having their own Bible study. One could hope. Maybe that's what's going on. But that means 78% in my mind, that means 78% of the children are showing up at church either never, seldom, or at the most once a month. And that means an anointed teacher has an hour or to an hour and a half once a month to compete with the world and the devil. Rhonda's string would be appropriate here. 
But you see, so we've got to believe God for the parents. I get life is busy today. And I want little Johnny to be the football star. I hope, I hope uh, he's a Titans quarterback and he remembers me. And when the Colts come to town, he'll let me. Oh, that's actually, uh, okay, let's, um, I just prophesied that. Hallelujah. Let's, uh, okay, there he is right there. Um, but, okay, let's think, I always use the name Johnny. Let, let Jed, let's say Jed, uh, you know, you know, or whatever. Those are all important. I love sports. Um, not so much ballerinas and things like that, but we did that. We'll do those things. And you have to have your children in that stuff. But you need to keep it balanced where they realize that if they, they miss every once in a while, this is not the norm. And we're going to make it up at another time. So we have to pray for the parents. We have to pray for the parents. Um, there's other statistics out there, but I need to get to this. So let's look. So what do you and I need to do about it? We can throw up our hands. You can get emotional like me about it. I mean, just being emotional is not going to fix it. It's just, it's not. I can cry a river. It's not going to fix it. I can throw my hands up. But if, but I really do believe that prayer is the beginning. If you look in the book of Acts, the Lord made me do this 25 years ago in a storefront church when there was like 10 people attending and I was frustrated. He told me to go in the book of Acts and every time there was a growth to trace it backwards. So if you start, every time the church grew, it's, it came from an outpouring of God. And that outpouring of God, if you trace it all the way back, came from prayer. Every time it came from prayer. Prayer is important. Let's not belittle prayer because prayer is very important. You know how to pray on your own and receive from God. And if you're not yet, then you stick around here and you will learn how to pray and receive for yourself. But there is prayer, especially in a corporate setting, that's meant to change things suddenly. It's meant to change things in a nation, in a region. And that's what the Lord wants. And so, how do we, you and I do this? Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11, Amplified Classic. And if you'll just leave this up. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more and extend itself to the fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight. That your love may uh, display itself in greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 10, that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences and that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ not stumbling nor cause others to stumble. Okay, you can take that down. And so listen to me. So this is a prayer. This is your daily bread prayer for next week. And so this is your assignment next week. And so I want you to begin to think about it. If getting a child, a teenager, a young adult, 23 and under is born again, and anybody else who is backslidden in this season 
of the United States of America in this season of God when it's about to be Resurrection Sunday, in this season when people are wondering, is America going to crumble morally this season? And you and I have got the answer. And so it's time for us to be full of joy. It's time for us to brighten up. It's time for us to believe God because we all know how to believe God. And so God is not willing that they perish. He's already calling them the generation of the upright. So he sees who they are. We've got to see who they are. And yet we've got to do our part. And so this is our part. Take Philippians 1 night, And I want you to think of a family. A family that does not go to church. A family that you're associated with, with either baseball, football, ballerina and cheerleading, uh, basketball, uh, 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 football, the real football, uh, soccer, um, um, uh, uh, academics at school, neighbors, work, people at work, your family. I want you to think of a family. Now don't go, get all January 1st heroic going to the gym on me, all right? I got 10 families. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I, I just get, just give me one. And once you do this one, then you can add to it. You can put more weights on your, on your bar. Okay. But I want you to think of one family with some children in it that don't go to church. And I want you to begin to pray this prayer over them daily. Father, I pray for the, the, um, the Zaziki family. I'm trying to pick a name that nobody has. And I pray that their love would abound more and more. I pray that they, as a family, would learn to sense what is vital. That they would really know what is of real value. Because a lot of people's values are really messed up right now. That they would be pure. I pray for the Zaziki family that they would not stumble or cause their children to stumble. I know they don't want, I don't know, they, I know they don't mean to. I know they don't mean to, but them not going to church, them not serving God is not only causing them to stumble, it's causing their children to stumble. There are some of you in this room that you came from the guttermost just on your own. You didn't have an upbringing. You didn't have, and when you got to be a young adult or an adult, you went somewhere and somebody was preaching the gospel and you grabbed a hold and they pulled you up and out. but I don't know how much more time we have. And I believe the Lord has put this so strong on my heart and I hope you can tell. And I need you to grab a hold with me because I don't know the families that you know. Do you know that still 75% of people come to church because somebody brought them? 75% or more come to church because people brought them. Back when we were in the A-frame, our church was 93% because even before, even the GPS couldn't find where we used to be. I mean, you had to bring somebody. But don't let where we are out in front of the busiest road in Madison keep you, oh, they'll find their way. Oh, that's like telling a prisoner, you can find your own way out. I hope you make it. It's all right there in front of you. Look on the internet. But everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody. But all all I'm asking you to do is pray. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, amplified. 
Colossians 1, 9 through 11. It said, For this reason we also, from the day we heard it, have not ceased to pray and make special requests for you, asking that you would be filled with full, deep, and clear knowledge of his will. Father, I pray for the Zeke family that, that, that they would be filled with the fullness of the knowledge of God, that they would have spiritual wisdom, they would have compre- comprehensive insight into the ways and into, into your ways and into your purposes, that they would have understanding and discernment of spiritual things things. Verse 10, that they would walk and live and conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the Lord. They'd be fully pleasing to you and desiring to please you in all things, that they would bear fruit. Uh, What better fruit than their children serving God? What better fruit than their teenagers serving God? What better fruit than someone yelling touchdown and thank you, Jesus, at the same time? Increasing in all knowledge in God with fuller, deeper, and clear insight, acquaintance, and recognition. So how else do you pray for this family? Second Corinthians 4 and 4 says the God of this world has blinded their minds. So you, when you're praying for this family, you command the blinders to come off of them. Matthew 18, 18 says, whatever you bind on heaven, talking about agreement in 19, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth. So you bind those things that keep them away from God and you loose the power of God into their home, right there where they're at. Amen. Now for you and for me, Psalms 2, 8 says this, the Lord, he said, ask of me. And I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance. Just as much as healing is your inheritance. Just as much as prosperity is your inheritance. Just as much as peace is your inheritance. All the promises of God, yes and amen. It is part of your inheritance for the heathen to come home. It's part of your inheritance. Jesus said this. He said, ask you the Lord of the harvest. He said to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest field. Even if you're praying for somebody, you may not be the right person. Right now, all I want you to do is pray. Pray for them. Ask the Lord to send laborers. Take authority over what binds them. You know what? They're, they, Mom and dad of those children may have been in a church and they may have been hurt. They may have been hurt. They, they, they may feel like church let them down. I mean, no church could have let them down, but God never let them down. Maybe, maybe they grew up in a time when there was all the scandals going on when they were teenagers in the body of Christ. There was scandal after scandal. Maybe like, I don't, I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of that. You know, I, I can do a better job on my own. But how many know that's not true? Just because there's some bad apples doesn't mean the whole barrel's bad. Amen? And we, what can we do? Let's just start with prayer. It's as simple as that. Can I get everybody in the room to agree with me? We're going to pray. Read your daily bread. If you haven't downloaded the app, go ahead and do that because Philippians 1, 9 through 11, now the Amplified is your daily bread for the week. And on there, it challenges you every day. Just one family, just one family. I'm doing this on purpose. I believe the Lord gave it to me on purpose. We're going we're gonna to laser focus each of us on one family. And what that family I'm looking for is a family with teenagers, young adults, and children at home, and they don't come regularly to church. If they show up once a month, if they show up at Christmas and Easter, we're glad they come. We'll love on them, but but they're backslidden. They're backslidden. They're backslidden. And your prayers focus towards them. And some of you are going to want to, after you get done praying for them all week, you're going to want to do something about it. Well, if you're led, you know, and you want to get ahead, okay, because I know there, I know, I know there's some, you know, there's some real go-getters in the room. 
you do what the Holy Ghost says, but I'm telling you, this week, we're just going to pray. And we're going to pray. And we're going to focus on one family. And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for their children. We're going to pray for them. We're not going to condemn them. And, and I want any, I wrote a book called No Longer Con- Condemned. I don't believe in condemning anybody. I, I, I don't, I, and you just po- point to somebody and say, you're causing your children to go to hell. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to tell you, the family, that we have a crisis, but we've got the answer. There's a crisis, but we have the answer. And, and we're going to be the answer. And we're going to be the city set on a hill. And we're going to be the light. And this is where it starts. Amen. Somebody said, well, Pastor Mark, I'm having trouble with my own teenager. Well, you start praying for some others. Earl Roberts said this, you find somebody with the same sickness and you pray for them and, and you'll be working together in this and, and there's something about it. Unless, well, I can't pray for anybody. My family's messed up. Listen, listen, listen. If we all had to wait till we all got perfect, you're in the room. You're here. You're doing good. Could you do better? We could all do better. But we're going we're, we're going we're going to take this challenge and we're going to do it. Amen. Is everybody on board? Everybody on board? It's going to be a process, but but this is the week this is what we're going to do. We hope you were inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you and we want you to know him so you too can make him known.